Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Miss Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, and today I'm joined by the most experienced F1 journalist in the multiverse. Someone who has attended every race since 1988. He stalks the paddock for news, like Alonso stalks for understeery Mercedes. If a team principal sneezes, this man knows where you can find the handkerchief. It's Joe Sayward. Hey, Uncle Joe. You've quite put me off my tea, that. Um, yeah, thank you for that. I, I shall wander around the paddock thinking that I'm covered in snot from now on. I There's a there's a lot of new listeners to Miss Apex who've joined us over the winter, Joe, so I just wanted them to, to make sure that they knew that Uncle Joe prowls the paddock. You've got your, your finger in every pocket. You have lunch and volivants at every motorhome, except one. Well, there are several actually that I'm not particularly popular at, but um, you know, the, the fact is, if you're going to if you're going to tell it how it is, sometimes you're going to knock a few noses out of joint, and some of those noses are very expensive noses. So, and I was thinking about this earlier today with Ted Kravitz. You know, he really faced a pretty severe backlash when he he criticised or pointed out what was going on at the end of 2021, saying Lewis Hamilton was robbed of the title, and then there seemed to be this embargo of the whole of Sky TV. And that puts an awful lot of pressure on a, a journalist if a team is that upset that they just won't speak to you. So it's, it's a line. No, I, I don't agree. It's because they're stupid if they have an embargo on you because that means you, you can't, you can say what you like and they don't have any comeback. <laughs> it's their choice if they want to say, well, I'm not talking to him. But ultimately, if they don't talk to me, I will make up my mind without their, their input. And if they complain about it, I'll say, sorry, you don't give me any input. Um, which is perfectly fine by me. So I'm just trying to do the best job pro- possible. And if they don't like it, that's their problem. So 
um you know i i there's really nothing there's nothing really that is gained from banning journalists and and the smart pr people know that trouble is that the, the pr people are often overruled by their billionaire right. um schmucks who um who own teams and things like that and and think they have a, an idea of what to do but it does i mean it does happen from time to time so uh, for you walking around the paddock i guess you have rich veins of information that you tap and uh, you know as an independent it will be a little bit will it be peaky is it peaky is it like oh if an alpha it changes town- it, it changes from year to year but generally it's the same kind of level i mean people come people go and um but you know you're always developing new sources and um when you lose one you usually have more so i'm I'm pretty much cool with the whole situation and everybody is. The thing is also, you have to bear in mind that um, sources are not just people who wander around the paddock. People wander around the teams and don't appear in the paddock are just as good sources. Uh There's lots of sources out there. So I'd say probably half my sources are not actually wandering around the paddock. Um, They might might be sometimes there, but, you know, they're not always there. Um, And they're just as valuable as the other ones. So... um, you know, at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is tell the story properly. And, um, you know, of course, if you tell the story properly, you upset people a little bit sometimes. And we get we get the odd source, you know, Joe, nothing like you, but we do get the odd cheeky, like, you know, person, you know, Derek in the battery bay, who's like, I, I fancy causing some chaos and sending stuff your way. The difference is when I say it, everyone just assumes I'm, I made it up. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. I get anonymous tips, and sometimes it's interesting. The, you know, the anonymous tip is a, is a really interesting thing because you have to look at it and say, why is somebody doing this? And if you can work out why they're doing it, um, then you know whether it's valuable or not. Um, and very often it's it, it's impossible to know, to work out why people do things, and so I tend to ignore them. Um, but sometimes they're just, you know, they're, they're so outlandish they have to be true. Um, so... Uh, it's, I try not to use them, but if I can back them up by some other means, you know, if you get a tip and you go and ask a few questions, it gives and you, you get a threat. Same, yeah. Well, it gives you, it gives you a, it's like being a detective. You get one clue and you have to you know, play Cluedo. <laughs> Actually, it is very like being a detective, honestly. It's exactly like being a detective. That's right, Joe. <laughs> I think we're trumping that up a little bit. Uh, how was Bahrain though? Because uh, we were just chatting before the show and in my head, Bahrain's only been on the calendar for about four or five years but it was actually 2004 you said was the first barring uh, i think it, i'm pretty i'd have to look it up to be 100 percent certain but i'm pretty sure it is every year we get one of these look for the audio listeners he's holding up a number plate oh it's a commemorative number plate who gives it's you that a commemorative number plate with the date of the race okay. that's from the race organizer and i have about 20 of them or 19 of them i think so um and we were certainly there i mean i remember very specifically years like 2000 and seven and eight and that sort of era um when i'm you know you sort of have certain memories about it but we were going before then my first year was in a wonderful hotel called the relaxed inn and the relax inn as you may imagine was a place that allah doesn't look very often i see Um, and um you know there's that's always sort of fun memories going back in the old days of of little mini riots and things like that and and you know just very good times as well so um it's all Nowadays, it's very it's very pleasant um, in Bahrain, and um, they're making a lot of progress. So, and the buildings, you know, the the the, the town is 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 a, is a very much a happy place. You don't see any sort of really 
troubles anymore. Well, I think we'll hear no more about the relaxing in unless we have like an after dark. Relax, pe- relax in. Yeah, all right. All right. Okay. Uh, but look, <laughs> I don't know if there's any point in having you on for the rest of the season, Joe, because as the internet has declared, it's all over. It's not even worth thinking about anymore. Verstappen's got it all. He's got it all sewn up. Is is that what the paddock and the press is thinking as well? Um, well, it doesn't really matter what the press is thinking, does it? Because we don't have a clue. But um, I would suggest <laughs> that probably, yes, that is true. Oh. They were so dominant. Um, Sugar and, you know, Max wasn't pushing it totally uh, mm. by the end of the race. He really wasn't leaning on it. So, yes, his only opposition is Sergio Perez, and that's the end of that, really, isn't it? So um, if Fernando Alonso is the best they can do, and he was 35 seconds behind at the end, um, it's kind of desperate, really. But, you know, we can hope that Ferrari will wake up. We can hope that Mercedes will do something. We can hope that Alpine will do something um, and hope that others won't implode. But the fact is that – and I have a theory about this, actually. Oh, okay. <clears throat> you, you, you can enjoy this one. And that is a lot of the people at Red Bull, the important people, the engineers, the, the people who make things happen and make things go fast, were very angry last year as a result of the cost cap kerfuffle. Oh, yes. And the punishment that came as a result of basically a bunch of people winding up a problem to a level at which the FIA then had to react at a suitable level. And they were furious because it basically said that you're a bunch of cheats. And so I think a lot of them got together, put their head down there with the winter and said, right, we're going to teach those bastards a lesson. We're going to show that we can do it even with less aero time. And we're going to blow their socks off just to prove we're the best. And they can all... Okay, thanks for mouthing that, Joe. That's, that shows great personal growth. And thank you for thinking about my edit. But has, has that, that punishment hasn't really kicked in yet, though, has it? Yes, it has. I mean, it, it, they, they, get a, they get a punishment anyway for being the best, the best team last year. So um, they get less time in the wind tunnel anyway um from 21 if you like so you know they're still at the end of the day they're better and and they're more motivated clearly because they i think they were just a lot of furious people going right we're going to do this um huh. and you know the motivated people at mercedes and the motivated people at other places weren't quite as motivated and, and there's nothing quite like a bit of um revenge is always a good motivator anger is a great motivator and and failure is a good motivator too but i think in this case um some of those Red Bull boys are really boy. happy. Okay, <laughs> they're happy now. But so, so that whole you know drive to survive thing of Christian Horner saying, well, they they were really the victims out of the cost cap stuff. So that's not for show. Like Red Bull really do feel like they were the no, ones. No, no, no. That- they 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 felt that at the time. And and I mean, I remember saying talking to Helmut Marco one day in I couldn't remember which race it was. Maybe it was Austin, probably. And and I said, what do you think the punishment will be? Um, you know, we got we got to that level at that point. And and he said, Whatever it is, it's too much. And I said, Well, you know, come on, you know, if you if you got over right, the limit, right, yeah. well, you know, you need to have some punishment. He said, We've already had the punishment, all the negative publicity we've had long before any of this came out, which is basically stirred up by people who shouldn't know what's going on because it's supposed to be confidential. You know, somewhere or other there was a leak to other teams and they seem to know exactly what was going on all the time. So there's a lot of question marks there about the way it was handled. Um, and the way that the, that it was media, I, I would call it media manipulation. 
that that stirred up this great hornet's nest before anyone knew the actual detail. Mm. And and I think that that as a result of that, the FIA kind of had to react to what was going on because otherwise they would look weak. That's a good point, but wouldn't as a counter? I mean, couldn't they have just stayed within the cost cap as well? Yeah, but they were they were really not far off it. That's the point. The thing is, what it's just a matter of when you have a new rule in anything. Okay, you have a new technical regulation about the size of of or a you know a, a design box, and or an aerodynamic tweak, and they all have little ideas. They they look at the regulations and they, and they look for loopholes, and then they try to exploit that loophole. Then they argue the case, and and it's exactly the same with the financial regulations. They set out to go under the. The, they, to go under the limit, they didn't set out to try and cheat. And the FIA clearly said they're not trying to cheat. They're just, you know, pushing, pushing the to see how far you can go. And so, really, what's happening now is that yeah, the yeah. regulations. Hang on, just, yeah, just yeah. let me finish. I'm, I'm the regulations, the, the, the regulations are, are sort of being shrink wrapped, shrink wrapped around what they're meant to be, and we, we find out exactly what that means. Now, this year already, um, Red Bull, because they're still annoyed about it. Christian was talking about some government. I mean, all this stuff is so dull. I can't be bothered with it. But um, there, there's government grants that have been counted twice or something. He was banging on about how certain teams, in other words, he means Mercedes and Aston Martin, have been able to include these things in in their uh, budget calculations, which isn't right. Da 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 da. I couldn't give a monkey's. But if the you know the fact is that. If nobody is setting out to cheat, which I see nobody doing it deliberately, but, you know, he wants revenge on what happened last year because they are still unhappy about it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's happened. The regulations were like that, but they are unhappy about it. And so what you saw on Drive to Survive, yes, that was how they felt. That's interesting. I mean, I've bored uh, the Missed Apex listeners to death with my opinion on it. So I'm going to ask some other Red Bull related questions. I'll just say... I would like to have seen what Mercedes could have done with an extra half a million pounds in 2021. And that's that's the side they, I they look at. They could have had from. biscuits with the tea. That's the sort of level you're talking more. about. You have to bear in mind, there are things that don't register on the scale. For example, a Formula One program to a car manufacturer is a bit like changing the rear windscreen wiper. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it, it's that it's that unimportant a number in the overall scheme of things when you get into the billions, what it actually costs them. So everybody in the sport gets very excited about how important Formula One is, but ultimately we're not. And everybody gets excited about half a million because it sounds a lot of money to us, but it doesn't go very far. You know, I don't know what if you can if you can analyze what it costs for one day in the wind tunnel by the time you've added in everything, including the model makers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, you know. Forget it. It's a tiny amount of money that they mm. went over by. Yeah. Well, my advice to Mercedes would just be just to go over it this year and spend that money. Oh, catching but if up. they go over it this year, the FIA will be duty bound to punish <sighs> them in a severe way because they've already they, they've set the bar now. They've said, mm. okay, this is what's going to happen if you do it. Anyone who goes over that bar is going to get nailed. So. That's the way it is. And to be fair, that's not a bad idea, except that, that you know, you have to, in order to achieve that um, level of uh, sort of crucifixion, you have to start with somebody who gets, the, you know, who gets the severe punishment to start with. So uh-huh. you want basically to scare everybody off. And that's okay. what they've done very successfully. So I doubt very much that anybody is going to go near it. Well, wow, they're, they're all going to try and dance around it as much as they can and get as much in there as they can. 
but you know they, they they're not going to take undue risks that's the message to mercedes you should have done it in 2021 and it's too late it's too late now well it's not just mercedes it's also i mean <laughs> well I've heard people say that I'm Aston Martin must have done it in 2021, given the spending levels, but that's another story. I'm, I'm sure they didn't. I've definitely got Aston Martin questions for you, Joe. And we've got some listener questions from our fine patrons as well. But cost cap aside, Red Bull have come out with a fantastic car. And they're a team that have done it basically for the second time, have come out and looked like a front running team. And they could be facing another kind of Vettel era of domination as well. What I want to know is... What have they done? What have they done right? How are they this dominant? Especially with, in theory, equal spending. Well, it's uh, it's a really difficult answer to come up with. But what happens every time there's a major regulation change in Formula One in the modern era now, somebody gets it right and other people get it wrong. And what then happens is that you have a period in which that benefit that they get from getting it right at the beginning is carried through because development is going on all the time. So everyone is developing at effectively the same rate because they can only do so much, but they're all working day and night. To, it, it, it's like a it's like a, a nuclear arms race. You know, they all keep going, and what do you gain at the end of it? You just stay where you are. So the fact is, every time there's a new set of reg- regulations, somebody comes out on top, and this time Red Bull came out on top with the 2021 new regs. Um, or oh, sorry, 20, yeah, 2021 new regs. Yeah. Uh, no. Into 2022. Yeah. 22 yeah. Into 2022. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Basically, they've had two seasons where they've been pretty dominant, and I can foresee it going on for some time. Just as Mercedes did it for seven years mm. from 2020, 2013 onwards, and and Red Bull before then from 2010 to 13 or nine to 14, whatever it is. Nine um, to 13. That's yeah. how it tends to be now because. It, it is just a – it's a battle of attrition, and you've got people working as many hours they're allowed. That's why we're cutting back on everything, because everybody's working all around the clock if they're allowed to, and everybody's moving forward at the same rate, which doesn't make any sense at all if you think about it. It's just burning money. They yeah. should all just stand around a fire and lob piles of money in. Well, don't some of the some of the teams, you know, they actively think about writing off one season for the sake of another, so you almost have to, like, time that. And is that a little subtle way around – the cost cap is like you can you can save a bit of money by using today's this season's money on next year's car and that kind of thing. To be honest, what you can do, you've got a financial year and you've got to fit the money and you don't sort of save some for the year after if you don't use it the first time. Yeah, but um, you can you can do what what teams used to do when money was not a problem is they'd have two projects going. You'd have yes. the following year's car and the year after's car going at the same time. Um, and that gave you the opportunity to make big leaps forward. But you can't do that anymore in terms of the – I mean, maybe they are doing it. Uh, you know, there's talk that Mercedes has a has a B plan, um, which is mm-hmm. one with different pods for this year, um, on the basis that the other one was still a bunch of maybes. But you've got to have very, very good financial planning to do that. Whatever the case, you know, they've all had their socks blown off, and um, they now have to figure out how the hell to get back in now – before we all get too carried away, <laughs> we should also say that, you know, there is a level of specificity in the different circuits. But I think that the Red Bull's got such a big advantage this year that it's going to be it's going to be good at all the tracks. Well, I so, thought what was scary was that I thought this is not traditionally maybe Red Bull's best track or a track suited for Red Bull. So when they were that dominant here, I went, oh no, it's going to be worse. I mean, you know, we can always have the situation whereby 
Um, and it's bound to happen somewhere where at the start, when they're still close enough to sort of, you know, um, touch the, 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 uh, the, the tail of the Red Bulls, they'll, cr- mm. they'll crash into it. And so you might have a situation where the person who starts fourth, you know, because Perez is bound to screw up somewhere as well. Um, Joe, and, why? Well, yeah, but he is. Yeah, same, same. Sorry. I'm not pleased with that comment. So you you may have situations where somebody will will come into and you know and you might have a Mercedes or a Ferrari or the Ferraris hopefully will stop blowing up, mm. but you know poor old Charles. You know if I were him I'd 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 definitely be sort of um I'd be brushing up my CV at the moment because it's just a bit boring to have another season where it blows up under you. Yeah, so, well, I mean it's only one race, admittedly, but you know I you could see you could hear it in his voice. You could hear it when it's sort of, oh, no, not again. <laughs> you know, I thought we got this fixed. And and it clearly they hadn't. So, you know, maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's not. I hear that there's a massive investigation with, you know, policemen rushing around at Ferrari trying to figure out what went wrong with the engine. You know, policemen in Ferrari uniform, obviously not real ones. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, but right now, it does look like it's going to be a quite dominant year for Red Bull. And it happens. Paddy in our live chat says, can we have a minute silence at the end of the podcast for the 2023 season? Can I remind everyone that people were talking about Ferrari dominance in the early part of last season? And would it be a boring season? We were having exactly this same yes, but they, conversation. They, they did have the pace last year. This year, yeah. they didn't even have the pace. So... Uh, it's all very well saying yes well maybe somebody will come good they didn't have the pace they didn't you know have the pace and then blow up which is what happened before um you know they won the first couple of races and then they started blowing up but the fact is they don't have the pace so there's a hell of a lot of work to do to try and close a gap when everybody's working all the time all right should we go you know to what I mean i know what you mean in it yeah don't don't bring out the essex in me i i'm struggling enough to stop my my natural essex accent from coming back um <laughs> i'll have to spend some time in the posh bits of essex like you what you go to frinton yeah that's that sort well, of place I, I haven't been there for a very number of, i went there as a kid yeah um, okay it was a bit different then it's quite a long time ago when I was a kid. It's a bit cold now. Well, I'll save the beach trips for later. But for now, Anders, who I assume is from a very cold country, uh, probably one of the, the long stringy ones that comes from the North Pole. How is Fred doing at Ferrari and how does the team feel about him? Um, he said excluding Charles, who I'm assuming will be quite upset at the moment. Fred Vasseur settling in well. He seems pretty chill. Friend of yours, Joe? Oh, yeah. Huge. Um not really, no. I, I, it's not no great secret that I don't rate him very highly because um, he didn't do much at Sauber. So I, I was utterly amazed, to yeah. be honest, that he was given the job at Ferrari and um, didn't really understand it. So, yes, he's arrived and he said all the right things and made some cuddly remarks and and uh, the performance is less than last year. So, um, or by comparison to everybody else. So we'll see, but you know, I think uh, what what happens in the team at Ferrari is is to be honest, neither here nor there, because they're all going to support their their new leader up to a point, and, and then if they don't like him, they'll stop supporting him. But what's more important is the politics at Ferrari, and I think that the politics at Ferrari. Let's just Go on. do a quick rewind and say, um, why did Mattia Binotto get dumped? Okay. It's very simple. It is really very simple. 
Matteo Bonotto took that team to a level where they were nearly ready to win world championships. Now they had a couple of glitches and it didn't go quite right because the engines blew up and blah, 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 blah. However, Matteo Bonotto survived two years earlier, the worst season that Ferrari had had since 1980. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Whatever with that that particular period when there was a – I remember there was a secret deal with the FIA. When they used too much – Highly dubious. When they used too much fuel at once. Well, that may be it. Where where they allegedly did things. I think they did it. I think they did it. Well, you can say that, but then, you know, wait for the lawyer's letter to thump onto your (laughs) desk. Um, The the fact is that they they had a a deal, a secret deal, um, to uh, based on the the punishment they were going to get for doing naughty things, allegedly naughty things. And um, so he was in charge then, and and he kept his job. Okay, so two years later, three years later, whatever it is, he didn't keep his job over minor issues. They threw everything, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, what's the difference there? What is the difference between Ferrari then and Ferrari now? And the answer is that the chairman is the same, but the chief executive officer is not. So somebody has come in there with a bit of power, Mr. Vigna, the Ah. new CEO, who knows nothing about motorsport, um, oh. Although pe- perhaps he thinks he does, which is always the worst kind of scenario you can have. <laughs> um, the, it was previously a man called Mr. Camilleri who who quit during the COVID pandemic. Um, and then Ms., Mr. Vigna arrived. He, he's an expert in electro jobby things, mm-hmm. got nothing to do with cars. Well, th- these are names um, I have not heard, by the way, so they're not like well, out there. Look, look, the chairman of Ferrari is a man called John Elkin, who's a member of the Agnelli family. Right. Um, who is in charge of lots of car companies and right. dodgy football teams and all this kind of stuff. Allegedly? <clears throat> no, not allegedly, oh, because okay. they actually got caught. Oh, the, okay. uh, Juventus got, mm-hmm. got busted. So mm-hmm. um, they are. he's the chairman of the whole empire. He's the chairman of Stellantis, of Ferrari, of Fiat, of all this stuff. And then you have the CEO of Ferrari, who is called Benedetto Vigna, who comes from microelectronics company. Um, which is a strange thing to do, but they decided to put a micro electronics wow. company in charge of a car company. So the highest person up in Ferrari who knows about motorsport is, I guess, Fred Vasseur then at the moment. Uh, well, I think possibly both the other two think they do. Oh, which is always about, as I said, a bad yeah. combination. Yes. So the most, you know, the person who who would know most about Formula One in theory, apart from one or two of the Ferrari boys who've been there for twenty five years, probably, um, would be Fred Vasseur. And so, but the people firing the the team principal, um, people have the power over him, have less knowledge than the man himself, probably. Okay. So it's a, there's a there's a there's clearly something going on in terms of politics because you just wouldn't hire Matia. Okay, it wasn't great, but it wasn't worthy of of being dumped if you compare it to previous years. Mm. And and it does make a big difference because you know he was he was the guy holding that whole team together and. And now, unless Fred Vassar can can get everybody singing to the from the same song sheet and marching with the red flags and all the rest of it, um, they're going to have trouble with with uh, discordant voices and other such things. And you know that's when Ferrari gets to its absolute worst when the politics takes over and there's backbiting. You'll see it. We'll see it soon if it's going to go wrong. We'll start seeing things in the in the. In the Italian media, if doesn't really seem to come into it with Ferrari though in, in these well, days, we'll does see. it? So when it but, goes wrong, we'll see. 
No, it doesn't have to go wrong because Jean Todd managed to do it. Yeah. But I'm sorry to say that I don't think that Jean Todd and Fred Vassar have a great deal in common. So as a as a long-time Ferrari fan, as Miss Apex listeners will know, uh, the, the, the thing that I think is got the grip to the Tifosi at the moment is they're holding the breath moment and then the inevitable release of, ah, there it is, there's our Ferrari. So Q1, all the hope in the world, first competitive session, and then the, the bits of his, um, his wheel brows start flying off Leclerc's car. And you think, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is it. It's happened immediately. And it just seems to be with Ferrari, a lot of the, the reliability stuff, a lot of the basic stuff, a lot of the drills just seem to fall apart when they make contact with the enemy. And that's got to be something in systemic within them i would say cultural but yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're right there is there is some kind of a a cultural problem that needs to be fixed there now can we identify it and can we fix it is, is another matter but the trouble is if you have people who don't know what they're doing they'll listen to the last voice they heard mm. um who sounds credible and you know there's a lot of people in this world of formula one who sound credible but are not which is why team principles generally should be aerodynamicists because they can't get um they can't get uh s- snowed is a good word by um blah 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 they just go actually no that doesn't work um you know so you've got to have somebody who understands engineering to tell them. You've got to have somebody who's an inspirational leader. You have somebody who works hard. You've got to have somebody who's good in front of um, sponsors. You've got to have somebody who's good on TV. Um, there's lots of questions that you need to have. You've got lots of abilities you need to have as a team principal. Mm. Um, and if you don't have all of them, uh, but the most important one is leadership. You have to be You have to be somebody who the workforce will jump off a cliff for. And in the successful cases, it's always that, that you will always find somebody in the middle of it all is a great leader. Why don't Ferrari simply copy the Red Bull car like Aston Martin definitely have, according to Sergio Perez? Uh, who knows? Who knows? I mean, Formula One is has always been about looking at the other. In fact, not even Formula One. It goes back to 100 years ago. Oh, People 100 were, years ago. Okay. No, no, 100 years ago. Um, Hispano Suiza built a fantastic voiturette and Peugeot nicked the design. You know, it's not new. I remember. All the way through. <laughs> Twitter went don't. crazy. You probably don't, but all the way through the history of the sport, you will find this going on where people have, have a good idea and another lot go, oh, we'll take that idea, use that, develop it, and then somebody will nick it off them. And that's just the way it goes. Now, nowadays, the means of nicking and the means of catching the nicking um, – have developed so mm. you can't just nick straight away like the old days um but nowadays you have to you have to be clever and and uh you know that well, racing point um aston martin were doing that quite a lot of late but they yeah. were clever enough not to um but this one is actually not no top, no i don't think it is i think this one is look you have people who've been hired from different places so their input arrives you know you have dan fallows who came from red bull you have Eric Blandin, who came from Red Bull. You have Luca Fabato, who came from uh, what was the last one before? Um, well, he was at Toro Rosso, and then okay. so Red Bull. Oh. <laughs> so no, no, Red no, Bull. no, 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 no. But Luca was at other places. So he's mainly yeah. a McLaren man. All right. But you no, know, the fact is that they've got some very, very good people who work together. Clearly, uh, they have leadership. They have money. 
Um, they have a facility that's nearly finished, but they, you know, they've produced a terrific car. So I don't think you can just say, well, it's a copy of this or a copy of that. But at the same time, it's it's terrific enough to be half a half a minute behind um, mm. Red Bull at the finish. And that actually is the key point. The point is, yeah, they have a decent car, but it's not. It's just decent because everybody else did a worse job than they did. Mm. If you see what I mean, I don't mean that in any sort of denigration of no. what they've done. It's 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 fantastic what they've done, but everybody else has done a bad job too. So I was surprised by Alpine being um, quite as poor as they were. I was surprised by. Well, I wasn't McLaren. surprised. I wasn't surprised at McLaren, to be honest. Uh, oh no, I don't think so. Okay, um, I was more surprised that. Um, Alfa Romeo were just nowhere, and and they had a they had a good car last year. Didn't use it very well, but they had a good car. Um, and I'm ultimately surprised by Mercedes, of course, because you would think that having messed it up last year, they would have got it right this year. But I, they haven't. I was trying to make that point across various outlets after the race, and it seems mean spirited to kind of take away Alonso's podium. So I kind of was trying to do it less. But yeah, you're right. McLaren, Alpine, uh, Alfa Romeo, and um, and Mercedes all seem to have underperformed, and and that might kind of correct itself over the course of the season. But I, I think I think the key point is that that people tend to judge the performance of cars by what you see in qualifying. And what they you do. see in qualifying yeah, yeah. is Max was on pole by three tenths or maybe less. I can't remember exactly, but mm. you know the, there was a gap, but it didn't look disastrous. And in the midfield, it was really close and tight and great. But the trouble is, it's not that that's important. You've got to look at the race pace, and the Red Bull was just gone in race pace. It just went up the road, and and you know they barely got a sniff of the exhaust. <laughs> Mm. And, and I've said for a long time, qualifying has never been less important in Formula One. You know, you only have to look at Bottas being routinely right up alongside Lewis Hamilton and then in qualifying and then in the race would just not be able to match his race well, pace. Look at the Haas. Mm. I mean, the Haas is, is, was a decent qualifying car and they ended up way back because for, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure I understand what that reason is, but the Haas always seems to race badly. Hmm. I don't want to. Well, I mean, cast look, at, look at what happened. You know, yeah, you had one of them in the to- in the in the Q three, uh, and where were they at the end? Uh, I'm I like really like Kevin Magnussen, but he seems to just whenever they are up there, he seems to just lose a front wing end, end plate, get in adventures, and yeah, but and he didn't this time. No. The car was just slow. No, I was thinking um, generally, but yeah, I know. I think I yeah. mean he had a he had a string of um, incidents last year, but that happened sometimes with, with drivers mm. who. Uh, they changed the rules about the width of the cars too last year, remember? He might have he might have forgotten how wide they were when he was away for that couple of years, you know. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I want to get back to my my copying the car questions before they slip mm-hmm. out of my head. So actually, I want to ask about about Dan Fellows as well. So just for a bit of context, Fellows, Fellows. There we go. A nice fellow is that Fellows, but. Aston Martin came out with what looked like a clone of the 2019 Mercedes in 2020. So they clearly don't mind. And I think it's a legitimate tactic looking around the paddock and saying what works. And didn't they get found to have copied a, a rear brake yeah, But there's, a, there's a fundamental difference here. Go on then. Well, back then, the technical team was being led by Andrew Green, who was operating under a budget, um, you know, of uh, he was given these are the numbers you've got, do something with it. And he had a, a team owner, Lawrence Stroll, who was very ambitious. And I think what Andrew did was he say, well, what's the fastest way to get to where we have to go? And that is reverse engineer to the level you can a very fast car, which is what they did. Now, most engineers would rather develop their own concept because when you develop your own concept, if you do get ahead, then nobody can catch you. But if you're just copying somebody else, um or you know, copying the the um the concept you're you're not actually mm. making much progress so but that's been changed because fellows arrived and, and it was a new generation andrew green has gone off to be much more in charge of advanced projects or future you know whatever they've they've sort of moved the desk sideways <laughs> and and you know they've got different ambitions now so uh, I don't think you can you can sort of generalize on that point. Okay, so where where did Dan Fallows sit in the Red Bull hierarchy? You know, was he a chef or was he you know passing the butter? You know, th- this is what I mean. Is like has he no, just no, come he over? He was a very he was a very important guy, which is which is why they uh, there was one point at which some years ago he tried to go off to McLaren, and they fought in a court um, to stop him going because they knew of his value. So. Clearly, he's a very valuable person, and clearly Lawrence Stroll figured out how to get him out of there, which presumably involves a very large sum of money. Um, and, you know, so he's out there and he's gone. So does that impact on the others? No, because they have strength in depth. You know, this is the thing about the big teams. They can take the hit, and they have new people. Now, there's a point at which you can't take all the hits eventually, but it's one of the one of the sort of uh, rhythms of Formula One is you have a very successful team, everyone comes in and nicks who they think the best people are, 
and off we go. I mean, you might see that elsewhere this year. You have, for example, as I said, Alfa Romeo had a very good car last year. Um, well, if I were running a team that's not doing awfully well, I'd be going looking for the aerodynamicist at, at Alfa Romeo and trying to lure him away. Mm. Okay, so look, look, Red Bull are making a big fuss about it, and they're uh, helmet marker saying, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with their memories." Perez making that comment in the press conference is it unfounded? Firstly, but but the main reason I'm asking the question is because if it was just someone who had come over with a, a floppy disk or a brain you can't, full of information, you can't I know you do can't. that anymore. Yeah. So in this hypothetical, he's come he's come there with a he looked at all the plans, he memorized them, and gave them that information. Obviously, then he's not useful going forward. So are we optimistic that going forward, they can actually develop this concept as well as having built it first? Well, what what happens with, with aerodynamicists is you don't have to be, you don't have to copy everything, but you have to understand the concept yeah. and you have to understand how it works. And if you understand how it works, you actually don't need to take the data because you know how to fix it. So you go to another car, you have another uh chassis sizing slightly different bloody blah, blah whatever and but you know how it works so it, it's the concept it's grasping the mm. concept of how to make a car go quickly and that changes from year to year and nowadays it's so intricate because of all the uh the the way the aero works nowadays you know you can't just slap a great big wing on the back and it makes a difference it's all in in subtleties it's all in vortices that are interacting with other vortices which are bouncing off vortices which are sucking up to surfaces because that's what vortices do when they go near a surface it's this sort of stuff that we can't conceivably understand yeah. and anybody who pretends they do <laughs> should be an aerodynamicist so and get paid yeah. a hell of a lot more money than the rest of us do okay yeah. well i think you're a bit more optimistic than i am then so as a as a staunch long-standing aston martin fan the worry would be that this is a one-off and they're front-loaded towards the end of the season. But you're painting a more optimistic picture that this can be a sustained charge up the field. Yes, but it won't happen. I'm not I'm not necessarily certain we'll see a sustained charge this year. Right. Um, we they're also you know they're they're using um, the Mercedes wind tunnel at the moment to help. They don't have their own wind tunnel. They will uh -huh. have their own wind tunnel in a. I think it's. I mean, it's it's going to be 25 before it comes in is of any use i think i can't remember the details of exactly when it but it's going to take a long time to calibrate it even if they finish building it you've got to put all the stuff in calibrate it make sure it all works properly so they're going to have a new tunnel of their own um although you know if you've got one that's working at um at mercedes why why actually would you need to do that because if i was james allison or mike elliott i would be giving them like a gift of a teddy bear but it's one of those nanny teddy bears that's got a camera in it so when they're using the wind tunnel they'll be able to see all the secret information and copy them okay well no. i should watch out for any gifts that gifts i'm given of... from james allison and mike elliott then and uh, or, that... even, or even the aerodynamicists who probably know better that's a nice little segue to mercedes there you see i'm trying to get to the heart of who's in oh, charge i thought you were segueing to teddy bears okay no. on we go yeah. so uh, it's great, really, because, you know, doing this for, for years, the, the engineers now have much more of a, a high profile and we know about the engineers much more than we used to, which is really correct because it is such an engineering sport. So We do and we don't. Hang on. We, we know about more, some engineers. More so, more so. Yeah. No, no, but we know about some engineers whose names are thrust out there, but we don't know because there are so many of them mm. now. The, the, who is the one that makes the difference? The skill is to identify the geniuses among the 
hundreds of aerodynamicists there are now in Formula One and work out which is the one who's going to make a big difference. Ah, so you're saying we, we only know the Steve Jobs characters. We don't know the, the engineers exactly. in the background. Yeah, we, we know the captain, but we don't know the blokes in okay. the engine room. Well, as far as captains go, they're captaining their engineering team. The two names we've been hearing from Mercedes are Mike Elliott and James Allison at the moment. And are, are they the two guys driving the design forward? No, because James is in semi-retirement. Oh. Um, so, he, no, it's not him. There's the, Again, there's a whole bunch of other people, and we don't know them all. There are chief designers, there are chief aerodynamicists, there's head of aerodynamics. There's, I mean, it's oh. just unbelievable. Principal aerodynamicists. There are uh, chief designers of different areas in the car. I mean, these things are intricate organizations. How do you think we get to a thousand people running a form, being involved in a Formula it's, One team? Yes. There's lots of people having input. It's and just- so to say that this one bloke's going to make a difference, it, he might do. But you've got to identify the right bloke first. It's just not very romantic, is it? Everyone likes the idea of Adrian it's Newey. A- Adrian Newey with his pencil and his easel with his sketch pad on a hill somewhere drafting out aerodynamic concepts. Yeah, but you know, there is a case where he comes up with stuff that he thinks might work and it challenges his aerodynamicists. They may say that's never going to work, but they try it and they find out, oh, okay, yeah. So Adrian is a bit different in as much as he's very much old school, but he's also different because he learned how to design things in a time when he was also a practical race engineer. He wasn't just a pure aerodynamicist. He had the full picture. So he knew Mm. about the practicalities of mechanical engineering as well as aerodynamics, like many of them did in that era, but there aren't many of them left nowadays. They're all specialists. So am I? do you think I'm right in my – I've had a theory – that the engineers at Mercedes have been saying, Toto, this is the right concept. Give us, a, give us a chance. And he's been going, no. And they go on, give us a chance, please. Just give us till Bahrain. And he's gone, oh, fine. And then now he's gone, I, I told you so. Now let's go back to the drawing board. Who's going to win that argument? Well, Toto's going to win the argument right. every time, isn't he? Because he's the boss. He's massive. But, um, I don't think you can necessarily say that is definitely what's going on. But... You know, I think we will see a change uh, at Mercedes because it was such a it was such a um, a drubbing that they weren't expecting that I think there is a sort of oh God we've got to do something else mm. because I don't I think they look at it and they're probably saying well we can't close a gap like that in the, in the course of a season therefore we've got to do something else now they've got to do something else within the bounds of the budget cap why should they. No, no, no. Let's not start that again. Let's not start that again. No, I'll be, I'm triggered. You can read my Twitter feed at Spanners Ready to know my feelings on the subject, but I'm being somewhat polite to the guest. I've put up a token fight, haven't I, Joe? And then I've, I've backed off and I've let it go. Whatever. People, they know how I, they know how I feel about it. Uh, I've got a question from the listener, uh, from the listener, from one listener. From, <laughs> the single listener we have. Yeah, okay. From Mark, who says, Zach Brown. Does he want a winning team or a profitable team? That's a good question. Well, he hasn't got either at the moment. He's got 85 rotating sponsors. Yeah, he's got 85 rotating sponsors, each paying £12. Oh. You know, if you, if you have as many sponsors as he have and you're presumably generating all that money, um, that I, it just has to be. It has to be either that he's extremely good at going blah, blah, blah to sponsors, which he is good at, but are they really all paying the vast sums of money that some others are paying? You know, if you compare to 
a sponsor on the Williams with the amount of space they get mm. with a with a sponsor on the McLaren? Are they paying the same amount of money for that space? I don't know, but I would suggest that probably they're paying more. Uh, the thing is that as a marketing exercise, McLaren looks great. You know, it's got fantastic. It's got all these sponsors. It's very cool. It's got um, all these fancy names, but there's no performance there or very little performance there that we've seen so far. Um, and unfortunately, you need to have more than blah, blah, blah and hot air. You need to deliver the goods, technically speaking. And the other point of weakness, it's not necessarily weakness, but it doesn't help the instability issue, is you know the McLaren car company is not doing well. So oh. people, well, it hasn't been doing well for a long time, but you know it needs it needs to be, um, they keep having to go out and sort of refinance it every so often because it's just burning up money. So the racing team's not suffering from that as far as I can tell at the moment, but it doesn't help. Um, the racing team seems to be um, washing its face, as they say. But, um, you know, if we have performance like we saw last weekend all year long, they'll be dropping a massive amount of revenue because every place you drop down is like 15 million you lose so it's it's uh you got to be you got to be delivering the goods okay and they're not at the moment even with two very good drivers i think we all agree that lando norris and, and oscar piastri are both very good drivers so ultimately it comes down to the fact that the car must be a bit of a piggy well hopefully we get to see if piastri's a good race driver because we didn't get much of a look at it piastri is a good race driver believe me <laughs> Uh, Zach Brown, top of my list of team principals. I would accept an invite uh, to their their mansion for a, a weekend of barbecuing. And I, I just feel like Zach Brown, it'd be a good time. There would be Patank in the garden. There'd be a good barbecue. Seems, it seems like a very personable chap. Just take a look at him. He looks like he likes a big barbecue, doesn't he? Oh, Joe. We, we're, hardly, we're hardly in a in a solid house ourselves throwing stones, are we? Look, yeah, look but, at us. Well, that's true, but you you were just merely <laughs> pointing out that he probably does a good barbecue. Yes, he probably does. Um, but, you know, um, I was merely pointing out a clue, that's all. <laughs> well, we'd fit in nicely, possibly. Um, no, but, you, you wouldn't want to go to Gunter's for a barbecue, would you? Because he's skinny little bloke. Yeah, you know, good point. So. Good point. Uh, or France Tost. Why would you go to France Tost for a barbecue? You know, this is a silly argument, but go on. Well, we'll go to some very sensible questions then. We've got a sensible question from, from Mike Stoner in our in our patron group along the lines of, of what we were talking about one race in what does joe think of the rookies and i'm going to include nick de Vries in that because not doing so just seems churlish okay mm. well um i think all the rookies are good drivers so um i think they're all quality drivers and therefore i don't have to sort of uh, write any of them off as pay drivers um and I thought that Logan Sargent did a great job he on did. his first weekend. My yeah. goodness, that lap one. If you see the lap one from his onboard, was not yeah. scared of that grid at all. No, no, but he's a, you know, the guy was a world karting champion many years ago. He knows what he's doing. He's a proper, proper talented bloke. So anybody, you know, a lot of Americans think there's only Colton Herter in the world and it's not fair and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. But actually, if you followed... Um, the European side where you have to go to get your super license. Logan's side has been coming for a while and yeah. and doing a good job. Um, in terms of the others, yeah, Nick DeVries is effectively a new boy. But again, Nick Nick was one of the greatest kart racers there's ever been. And it's taken him a hell of a long time to get to Formula One. Is but, that right? You know, oh, yeah. He won two two world championships, one after another. 
in in formula i mean, the trouble with karting is they change the formula <laughs> so often but basically the top karting class he won twice and one was considerably younger than everybody else so he's a he's a fantastic talent we we've, we've always known that but he got caught he got lost in in formula renault for about 4 years and so his career sort of went he was originally a mclaren young driver and after a while they sort of said well thanks a lot nick but uh, we're not seeing it and then other people went, oh, well, actually, we'll have him because he's quite talented. Mm. And I, so I was quite sceptical when you're going back to Sergeant quickly. I was quite sceptical of that because I always am when you have someone with, with that much kind of family money behind them. But if he races like that weekend, week in, week out, then that kind of that justifies well, William's hang, decision. Hang on. Hang on. What? A couple of years ago, Logan Sargent struggled. He had to go and do another year of Formula 3 because he didn't have family money behind him. Yeah, so he had to apologise at Thanksgiving. It's not. No, no, he didn't have. He, there was no money okay. for him to. He should have been. He should have uh, been uh, not promoted. He should have climbed the ladder a year earlier than he did. If he had all his family money, that wouldn't that wouldn't have been a problem. But it was. So you know, it's all very well saying yes, he's got some rich parents, but it doesn't mean they give him anything. Oh, he's not rich. His parents are rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, but you know, there's lots of people on the grid whose parents are rich. But if you say, "Well, George Russell's got a rich dad," or Lando Norris has got a rich dad, never, no one would dare to suggest that they were there for any reason other than the fact they're brilliant. But that is also it's true in both cases. They both have very wealthy fathers. Okay, actually, I do have a, a follow-up buy-in driver question from from Rob. But first of all, Mark's watching live, and he points out that you never actually answered his Zach Brown question. The question was, Joe, does he want a winning team or a profitable team? What's his motivation? Of course he wants a winning team. They all want winning teams. Whether he's capable if, of producing one is another story. What if he had to pick money uh, or third he, in the championship? You know, I, I think he, he would always say he wants to have a competitive team because the other element of it, the profit, comes later from the success. Oh, okay. The profit, the profit. Yeah, if you win, you get money. It's very simple. Now there are there are team principals out there who might be be looking at things and saying, well, I, you know, if I make it near enough, I can make lots of money and leave with a golden parachute, whatever. But the fact is that they all deep down want to win, and the ones who don't won't last very long anyway. And I know why Mark is asking this because I know he's a, a long suffering McLaren fan, and there's there's a lot of them out there. As the, which I am one of them, by the way. I'm a McLaren fan too. Fanta- well, fantastic. And as 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 a McLaren fan, you look at that car and you go, it's covered in sponsors. They've d- leading edge technology on the rotating e-ink sponsorship. One car chugs to the halt. The other one has 10 pit stops. You can forgive people for thinking that the sponsorship might be slightly ahead in the priorities than the car. Unfair, I'm sure, but I think that's kind of the perception that's starting to, I'm starting to hear more and more. Well, that may be the perception, but it's not, you know, it, it, it has to boil down to the ability of the engineers to produce a fast car. Now, what is causing that? Don't know. Is it, is it the, the leadership? Is it the ability of the people concerned? I can't answer that because they can only answer that themselves. Mm. They know what's going on inside that team. And uh, in the fullness of time, we'll find out, probably. Well, they haven't got much time if they want to hang on to a top talent. If they want to f- hang on to Lando Norris, aren't they running out of time to do that? Um, yeah, I would say mm. so. In fact, I think they're probably coming close to losing him already because ultimately, ever since he joined, they've been going downhill. 
Yeah, so it's unlucky because he's he's clearly put a lot of faith in the team, and they've clearly sold it to him. Why right? is it unlucky? Well, it's just unlucky. There's no that such didn't... thing as luck, isn't there? In Formula One, well, oh. with one or two exceptions, like you know, Alex Albon having an appendicitis on the one weekend when his car is going to be good is bad luck. But cars not going fast enough is not bad luck. It's just bad, whatever bad. Uh, levels of uh, dedication bad engineering whatever it's not luck oh i meant for lando that it's bad luck well it's not no he he made the choice based on he made a very long contract he did yeah um based on the fact that it all looked fine at the time um now he's done very well he's he's uh, seen off daniel ricardo so he's kind of left his mark he said he has to see off oscar piastri as well to make sure you know that he is still valued in the in the open market, but um, he may, having seen it all from the inside, he may think, "Ah, oh, well, this isn't going to get fixed in a hurry." We don't know. We'll see. I mean, we'll we'll find out um, when the decision comes. But it will come. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find out one way or the other. If he commits to McLaren for another three years, you'll know that he believes in McLaren. If he doesn't, you'll know that he doesn't. Excellent. Thanks for circling back to that. I think Mark is satisfied with uh, with your answer. And we've got a continuing the driver questions with, with Rob Asher, who says, uh, with Mick and Nicholas gone from Formula One, does Joe think we now have an F1 grid which is entirely filled with drivers who genuinely have the talent to be there and aren't out of their depth? And if so, has this ever happened before? Now, now this is one of the well, reasons, You Joe- need to read the green notebook that was published on the Joe Bloggs F1 yesterday. Ah, which says that I was going into the weekend when Lance Stroll had, had broken hands. Um, I was wondering if this was the first weekend we would have a grid based oh, entirely no. on talent alone. And actually, if you read Grand Prix Plus, it's the same that you'll see the same argument in that magazine. Of course, you have to pay for these things. So um, people don't read that. Uh, links um, in, links you don't to have all... to, You don't have to pay to the blog, but you have to pay yeah. for the magazines. But all this has been written already. And um, so I think that. Yeah, you know, we have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be cruel to Mac uh, to to Lance because Lance is is nearly nearly there mm-hmm. in terms of talent. He's quick and he has lots of the elements that were required, but he doesn't have all of them. And if you want evidence of why I can dare say such a horrid thing, he's done 125 Grand Prix. That's six an, seasons, wow. and he's 24 years old. Now, usually you get two seasons and then you're out. Ask Mick. Yeah, well, there's a, you can name loads, can you? You know, Palmer, Mazepin, yeah. But Sorokin. if you if you have you know if you haven't proved it in two seasons, generally speaking, you don't get any more time unless you have vast amounts of money, and then you yeah. have a situation like um, that Venezuelan chap. Um, can't remember Maldonado. Maldonado, yeah, Mal, that's another, yeah. another good example I mean, where you've got fast guys with enough money to get themselves. Into you know, edge them over into F one, and that and that is the kind of classic buy in driver. Yeah, you get your shot to go to go further. Well, you do nowadays. Then, in the yeah. old days, they used to come in with very little talent, but nowadays it's gradually. They're all good. They, they're, they're all there good, will yeah. come a day. They are all good. Latifi yeah. was good. Mick Schumacher is good, but they're not good enough. And that's the point. The point is that it's a very very high bar that people come in, and they have to they have to jump over that bar now. If you're Lance, you're fortunate because your bar, you've been able to ju- try yeah. jumping over that bar for six years as opposed to most people who get two. So that's the 
that is the the um uh the the downside i suppose of but having said that last weekend if it wasn't for that ridiculous communication strategy of not telling anyone what was wrong with lance i would have been impressed i am impressed now the story came out this morning as to what lance had gone through to get there i am impressed rough by what oh yeah but you know why why hide it that's the stupid thing why hide it why pretend it's a privacy issue it's not a privacy issue it will impact on his on-track performance therefore he should have told the world I mean, there are people who bet money on these things you know that is actually mm. very you know you have to be careful about privacy because oh well we can't really bust his leg because somebody's betting on him you know um you have yeah. to be careful with this sort of stuff but if if we'd known in advance i mean i knew in advance because i did some research and found out what was wrong with him more or less and and so i was quite impressed but having said that that the sort of well it's all a privacy issue is a kind of lack of respect for the journalist so okay if you don't want to tell us i won't tell anybody what just, a wonderful job he did just speculate wildly you know they they did oh, invite. Yeah, well you can speculate yeah. wildly but i i didn't speculate wildly. i found out what was wrong with him then i'm quite impressed by the job he did mm. but if they're not willing to tell us what's going on why should we be willing to tell them what a wonderful job he did you know it, they have to learn if you can't if you can't teach him with logic you have to teach him with a hammer and so you hit him on the head a couple of times and then they realize oh yeah we could have done that better so you know I think he did a terrific job. And it also made me made me look again at the question of motivation, because lots of people say, well, yeah. he's just a rich boy and he's doing what daddy wants him to do. And what he did last weekend puts kind of kicks that into touch, that argument that he he's not doing it because he's motivated. You know, you've got various bits of you busted up and you're getting in a car and doing that. And you can't really turn the wheel properly because it hurts a lot. And that is impressive. Now, he still doesn't necessarily have the same levels of talent of as Fernando Alonso, um, but nonetheless, he did a terrific job. Now, if the re- you know, when it's all healed um, in the course of this season, and if we see Fernando finishing third everywhere, I would expect, if he's not a pay driver, for Lance to be finishing fourth everywhere mm, and occasionally yeah. finishing third. That's yeah. what it should be in a normal setup. If he finishes sixth every time, that's another thing. You know, it, it, it's a it's a question of degree. So I'm not writing him off as hopeless because he's not hopeless. Um, but I am saying, you know, he's had a lot more chances than everybody else, mm. and and he is the last one I would now consider to be a pay driver in the in the classic yes, definition yeah, yeah. of the word, like a buy-in driver, like he's literally financing yeah. the seat that he has. And you, you yeah. know, you can say that Guan Yu Joe is, it, but Guan Yu Joe's good. You know, he's talented as well. And I see no evidence to back up the fact that there may be sponsors who followed him somewhere. Mm. It doesn't mean they were, you know, they paid to get him in there. It's slightly different. It's, he was he was fundamentally chosen because he's talented. And we've seen that, you know, anyone who can beat Valtteri Bottas um, in his first year on oh, yeah. half the occasions in qualifying is mm. quick. You know, it's as simple as that. So, and, and Logan Sargent is obviously quick too we've seen that all through his career but he's arrived in formula one he's not overawed by it all he's just sort of get on with it it's what you do so i'm i think it's great that we're in a situation where you have just talent alone and i think it will continue to grow in that direction because pay drivers are not they can't come up with the kind of money that's worthwhile having them anymore good point because you need you need the points more than anything else and the points bring you so much and the amount of carbon fiber damage um that comes with some pay some pay drivers in it but it comes um 
you know the the amount of damage costs so much these days too so you know you can you can have somebody arrive with 20 million but if they don't if they lose you 10 million in prize money and they cost you 5 million in in you know smashed up car it's not worth yeah. having him is it yes so uh logan Sargent's first lap took away a little bit of my my doubts all i was saying was that my bar is a little bit higher when i see someone with that family money um but yeah lap one he looks but, like but, a real you, late, but late you haven't studied his background no not at all not at well, all there, no. well there you are you see you need to look into the background well i can just and, watch and the race uh, well, you can, yeah. but if you look in the background, you can then have your expectations yeah. suitably. Good point. One to honed. do, yeah. One to do in the future, and you know, we always, um, we always have wanted to get some kind of junior series, missed apex spin-off going, so that we can be more prepared when these drivers come through and 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 see that racing there more closely. Uh, but if if Stroll is the most payiest driver that we have, and me as a someone who's been grump the grumpiest about someone just buying a team i would say that and my argument now is he makes a pretty decent second driver that you could conceivably employ possibly i know you've said no in the past but you know if you wanted to bring him in as a second driver with experience in f1 and able to turn a wheel like he's broadly there there or thereabouts now that makes me optimistic about the grid and uh, and i think rob the answer to that is this is the least pay drivery grids well, without, without a question yeah. without a question that's true but yeah. i was i was looking on on the bahrain grand prix of 2023 being a landmark as being the first race without a pay driver in it <laughs> okay which we didn't have because lance stroll made it back um because the grid is is a great grid i don't think the bahrain grand prix maybe the tv direction didn't quite catch everything because it was only until i was scrolling back and looking through social media afterwards that I saw there was a fantastic battle, for example, down the grid between Yuki Snowda and and Pierre Gasly. And there was some great racing in that. And that was two talented, popular guys fighting towards the, the back of the midfield. And even in a dominant season, if like in 2013, the TV direction got very used to following the, the battles further back, it's still going to be an entertaining season if, if stuff like that happens. It is what you need. Uh, oh, here comes the lap chart. Right. What Joe doesn't realise is that most of you are audio listeners and that the sound completely changes when he puts things between him and the mic. <laughs> that is a lap chart. So if you lap chart a race, you can mm. see every battle all the way down through the field. Nobody does it anymore because everyone's so modern and electronic and they think you can get all the things you need. But it's not. That's the best way to follow everything. And you still you do see, it. I still do it. So every, every time a driver crosses the line, you put down their position. And mm-hmm. so you can see the order going through the race and track. You can see happened. how close they are all the way down through the order. And it, I, I've done it from the very beginning of my career because it's like writing yeah. your own race report. If you have a little annotations, little little marks on that piece of paper that tell you who's close, yeah. where an overtake's about to happen, where somebody's had a crash, where somebody's spun, fastest laps, all this stuff is all there. Someone and should make you, an app that does all that. Yeah, but oh God, why can't they just <laughs> – I know it's hard work. But, you know, there are people who can still actually use their brains enough to write down a bunch of numbers as opposed to having an app do it all for you. Apps don't. Yeah, maybe maybe you can come up with an app that shows the gaps and marks things on a on a spreadsheet or whatever you're trying to do. But it's much easier to do it with. The other thing is when all the timing machines break down at Grand Prix, the only people who know what's going on are the lap charters. I must admit, even though I've got the live timing up, 
a lot of time when I'm looking at race pace, I will write sector times down just to see who's performing, who's getting tired, drop off. Because by looking at the sectors, that shows you quite a bit more than just the out and out lap times. But at some point, they're going to come up with an app that stores all the sector times for you as well. No, no. But what you need at the end of the race is an app that produces a story. Mm. Which yes. you know, I'm afraid the apps are clever, but they're not as clever as a human brain. No, that's true. And if you have to produce a quality PDF Grand Prix Plus style magazine that's available just hours after the race, that's the kind of information you need, Joe. And we will link to the subscription page to Grand Prix Plus magazine in the show notes below. You pay once for the whole year. It's 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 us stealing from you the way you price it to be honest joe uh, but you have to do it now now is the best value time of the year because you sell it well it's good value all time. the time because you still get the same number well, no, of issues. yeah but it's, it's the, some of those races are in the past once you get to december buy it now and uh, yeah, if you buy it now you get them all brand new yeah. but um you know it's 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 how magazines should be uh, and it's not all bullet points so yeah. you can actually follow what's going on it's like an olden days magazine but in pdf it's a little bit yeah. but it is it's got it's got a bit of everything that they used to have in old magazines. But, you know, if you go and take a modern magazine and wait 10 years and then read it and try to find out what happened in the race, you're going to have a bunch of bullet points. You have no clue what really happened. Mm. That's true. It's no good to you. It's no good to you. If you have one, if you go back and see the old magazine, go look at yeah. old Autosports, you can read what happened from start to finish 20 years after the event. It looks like read a, a modern magazine. Yeah. Modern magazine, you get bullet points and photo captions and 12-word articles. Um, and at the end of it, trying to piece together what actually happened is very difficult. It's just that I'll have to explain to some people what a PDF is. It's like you've taken a photo of the magazine and then he sends you all the individual pictures what of the pages. you have to explain what a PDF is? People don't read something that's a PDF. It's a, I'm saying it's really good. I'm just saying no one else is doing that. <laughs> No well, that's true, because nobody else can do it as quickly as we can. Excellent. Right, Joe? We, we, we do this six hours after the race. I know, you know it's like good. 90-page magazine. <laughs> nobody knows how we do it, and uh, and we're keeping that secret. Pictures so. and everything, a proper story of the race. Go and check out Joe, his GP Plus magazine, and Joe Blogs F1. Click all the show notes below. Uh, Joe, final final question for you before you go. It's, uh, oh, we've, we've flown past the hour mark. My apologies. Uh, when what race will Max Verstappen seal the the championship? I have no idea. Zandvoort. You know, Zandvoort. Can he do it quickly enough for a home <laughs> celebration? <laughs> that would be that would be gruesome with all those orange people jumping up and down, wouldn't it? Um, Max, I don't Max, know. Max. I don't know. Who knows? You got to you got you can't you can't judge these things. You might have five consecutive engine failures. Who knows? Oh, but, that's true. Um, or, or loads of collisions. But, you know, I think it's fair to say that he is looking like the favourite right now. Go and follow Joe at Joe Sayward on Twitter. You can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. We're going to have some news coming up for you at the weekend and an interview with strategist Mike Caulfield. That's already in the can. It is definitely going to be worth your time. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 